What if everything we learned about the origin of demons from Sunday school and Bible studies was a mere myth? Welcome, Tales of Glory listeners. This is the big episode 90. Wow, we're 90 episodes in now from our first uh, episode of the Exorcism of Karen Kingston. And we've been all over the map with different things of prayer and exorcisms and deliverances. And here's another hot topic I'd like to cover, too, because I've alluded to it through some of my different discussions on demonology and how we examined it, especially how I addressed it in uh, three of my books, A Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare. Field Guide to Advanced Spiritual Warfare, and The Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis 1-11. through 11. We're going to kind of examine those three books today and go through kind of the stuff I was stumbling over, and we'll go through why I was stumbling with it and present some interesting material today that I hope you guys are really going to enjoy and unpack some things. Again, we have some good stuff. I'd like to welcome back my two listeners and a dog, and I am your host, Reverend Michael Norton, the missionary at the microphone. You're watching on the videos through YouTube or Spotify or Rumble, and my uh, pedigree, so to speak, up there. I'm your host. Again, I'm the founder of M16 Ministries since about 2007. I have 2007 there. I think it was 2006. I was actually going through uh, the uh, the field guide spiritual warfare, and I called it out in 2006. But we'll see. I was the pastor and leader for Night Strike Ministry from 2006 to 2016 when I took over from Bob Johnson. And that was an amazing ministry. I loved it out there. I'm a spiritual warfare minister, and I've also been involved in exorcisms and ritual abuse counseling, and it's still present today. I'm still doing those sort of things. And again, that's my resume up there. And let's get on with this stuff today. What are you talking about, Mike? What do you mean everything I know about cosmology and demonology and and the origin of demons is wrong? Well, not everything. We're going to cover some stuff. We're going to... We're going to do some house clean today, or as my friend Tony Tago would say, we're going to short things up today about what we believe in, in demons and what they really are, because we kind of go off the rails. Let's take a look here. Where are we at, man? Our roadmap for today's episode number 90. Again, I'm going to continue on with the praise reports and continue for a miracle, because I want you guys to know how this is drug out and what sort of things happen along the way. And um, also, we're going to major topic today is the examine the Christian definition of demons and sort the Christian folk tales from the facts. You'd be surprised what we picked up. This can be some fun stuff today. So you're either going to have a front global um, vein burst on you and you go mad at Mike and you scream heresy or you go, wow, I did not know that. Hopefully it's the latter. So don't toss cabbage at me. Don't throw me in the stockade. But here we go. Start with the praise report and contending for a miracle. Because if you have been following along with this, where are we at with this? It's been interesting. It's been a very long road. It's been since June. It's uh, post uh, Thanksgiving, Saturday, November 25th here, 2023. And we're beginning to see some little things in the mind start to fire with this individual we're praying for. And like I said, there was something strange happened. I got brought in because the, the occult was involved. And I can't go into details here because I want this to be a testimony for the person when they um, finally get fully healed. But 
it's almost like they're walking around comatose, right? Things are things are just not registering. They walk and stand in places for a couple of hours, or sometimes they don't know how to do simple stuff like hygiene and go to the bathroom or take a shower. Um, this past week, been in communication with the the father of this individual, and we've been seeing some signs of brain firing sparks going on. This individual recognized their pet and picked the pet up and talked to it. Um, this individual during Thanksgiving finally consumed a lot of food. We're dealing with um, a, a spirit of, I think, a bulimia and a spirit of malnutrition that was, was on her from the occult not to eat, locked her down. And there's been some interesting small wins, very small, we're going to take them. Like I said, some things are firing in the brain, some sparks. And we just want to pray and hold ground. Sometimes things take time. Sometimes they accelerate and we get a full healing. But we're starting to see some small inroad healings, and we're just praying for the best that we continue in this direction. Nothing slips backwards, but these are long fights, man. And this is what I'm talking about. We're contending for a healing. And, you know, it's just things go every which way, sideways, up, down, backwards, and you just have to stay in the fight until you get that full healing. That's where we're at. But we're kind of, you know, it's it was a good week. We started hearing about these, these couple of these things that were not present before and happened. So we're just praying this person get fully healed and that the Holy Spirit's inside there and healing the the brain, healing if they're damaged or healing any trauma or healing, you know, what, what it may be. So we get this person back for a full healing. And, you know, I'd love to see this whole thing. I think down the road, if this person ever gets fully healed, of course, they're going to be a guest on the show because I want to hear their story firsthand too. But um, like I said, it's, it's, it's up to them and where they're at because it's their healing. Anyhow's it. That's an update on that. So it was, it was sort of a good week. You know, it's just constantly talking with Jesus back and forth. You know, what's going on here? And just sometimes you get overwhelmed and Jesus gives you a rest and you go back out in the fight again, right? It just, it wears you down. All right. So that's the end of the praise report there. Now class is in session. Here we go. From our Christian perspective, what is a demon? That's what we're addressing today. What is a demon? We know we could all immediately answer that question. You'll probably be interesting to find out that although we all have the same answer, it may be the wrong answer. What, Mike? What is this stuff you're smoking? So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Old Testament, the New Testament. And everything in the Old Testament, the New Testament, must hyperlink. Right? Dots must connect. And we're going to talk about where I picked up when I was writing my three books where I found out these, these incongruities. At least they were for me. Because remember, I'm, I worked in science and physics and all the equations have to balance, and my equations weren't balancing. And I'm going to show you where these, these parts were at, where I had to have things that interconnected to make the, in my mind, to make them sound and fit. And there weren't hyperlinks that were happening. Dots weren't connecting in the spirit realm when it came to demons. So I have this picture for you right here. And if you're on Spotify or YouTube or Rumble, you see this picture. It's an incredible picture. It's like a an arc of rainbows. And what this arc of rainbows actually is, is there are hyperlinks between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are 64,000 interlinked Bible cross-references. I found this fascinating because this is how my brain works. You get a picture of it right here. This is what I was looking for, especially when it came to demonology and angelology. So if you see that picture there, it's, it's kind of fascinating. It's, it's their interarcing or hyperlinks between the Old Testament and the New Testament, interhyperlinks of the Old Testament, interhyperlinks of the New Testament, and backwards and forwards. 64,000 interlinked Bible cross-references. What does that tell you about the Bible? Hmm. 
So, 64,000 interlinked Bible cross-references. I'm going to read here from the website. This set of visualizations started as a collaboration between Pastor Christopher Romhild and Chris Harrison in 2007. The pastor had assembled a digital data set of cross-references found in the King James Bible. Cross-references are conceptual links between verses, connecting locations, peoples, phrases, etc., found in different parts of the Bible. Cross-references are included in the margins or footnotes of some Bibles, example here. The pastor and Chris struggled to find an elegant solution to render the data. 63,779 cross-references in total. We set our sights on something more beautiful than functional. At the same time, we wanted a visualization that honored and revealed the complexity of the Bible at every level. As one leans in, smaller details should become visible. I've shown this in my class, too. If you guys have been in my class, I, I put this up. Because it's, it's how Mike's mind works, man. There has to be hyperlinks all over. And there is. This is, this is God-driven material here. It's from God. So again, diving back into um, Christopher's um, analysis here. This ultimately led us to the multicolored arc diagram you see below. Jordan Peterson has included this graphic in his lecture series discussing how the Bible can be thought of as the first hyperlinked book. The bar graph that runs below the bottom represents all the chapters in the Bible, starting with Genesis 1 on the left. Books alternate in color between light and dark and gray, with the first book of the Old Testament and the New Testaments in white. The length of each bar denotes the number of verses in that chapter. For instance, the longest bar is the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. Each of the 63,779 cross-references found in the Bible are depicted by a single arc. The color corresponds to the distance between the two chapters, creating a rainbow-like effect. And I'll throw that back up there too if you're watching it. So that's what this is, right? It's pretty incredible. It's fascinating. When we deal with demonology, we have to have our hyperlinks. And we don't seem to have that, and we don't seem to care. Just to, you know, it's just, I'll go on to this, right? I don't want to get on a soapbox right now, but I'm going to walk this out and show it to you, prove it to you. You're going to step into Mike's mind here. So, your mission, should you choose to accept it, Mr. Phelps, locate and find the Old Testament references to hyperlink to and define our New Testament demonology. Roll the bump, 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 Okay, I don't want to smoke my computer, so we'll stop there. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to locate and find the Old Testament references that hyperlink to and define our New Testament demonology. They're there. We just haven't hyperlinked it. You'll be, you'll be kind of surprised at the results we find here. Nothing new. Nothing new is drummed up here. Everything I'm pulling up here has been doctorate-level, peer-reviewed material, and it's been there some time. That has to deal with ancient Near East um, religions, namely the Hebrews and all those people in those regions. Our search criteria. Okay, how does the Western Church define demonic spirits? Let's start there. What do we, what do we currently understand? What do we believe? So our objective. Does the Western Church definition align with the Old Testament Torah Septuagint? Torah is the Hebrew. Septuagint is the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, right? And actually, the Septuagint had a couple other books in it too. So 
if we're looking at Paul, we're looking at Matthew, we're looking at Luke and all these guys in the New Testament, the Gospels were not in place yet. What was Paul quoting? What was he quoting from? All they had was the Old Testament, a couple of the books too that were the Septuagint. So most all of them were rereading from the Greek Septuagint. That's what they were reading from. So our information must lie there somehow, some way. So what does the Western Church believe about demons? I'm going to throw myself into the stockade first with the common answer, because I published this in my book, A Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare, The Power to Pull the Impossible from the Heavenly Realms, by myself, Michael J. Norton, page 40. Here is my answer. The enemy in this war is Satan and his legion of fallen angels called demons. Any heresy there right now? Do you follow me? Okay. Because back in 2010, that's where it was at. That's, you know, every deliverance book that was out there, and there weren't a whole lot back then. Now there's a ton of them. You know, it's, it's worse than Disney making Marvel movies. They're just, it's as bad. Deliverance is just as bad, and it's getting as bad. So let's look. So I'm going to go to Christianity.com, and I found an article. What does the Bible say about demons? Okay, here's your answer. The Bible tells us that demons are fallen angels who joined Satan in his rebellion against God and who were defeated and cast out of heaven along with Satan. Revelation 12, 7 through 9. Demons continue to serve the devil in his attempt to lead the world away from God and into sin. Jesus will ultimately banish Satan and his demons into the eternal fire. The article goes on. What are demons or where did they come from? And again, this is the um, same as a field guide spiritual warfare answer. Demons are fallen angels who are cast out of heaven for helping Satan rebel against God. That's what you heard in Sunday school. That's what you heard in the pulpit, correct? Right? Okay, good so far. So even Mike was in alignment with this, all right? I'm going to show you where there was a course change was made. We'll, we'll get to that. I'm going to walk you through my thinking and what I discovered. Gosh, since I wrote this book back in 2010. Um, so we're at 13, almost 14 years down the road. Yeah, probably 14 in March. 14 years since Field Guide was written. So let's continue. To understand what demons are, we must look to the ultimate evil spirit himself, Satan. Revelation tells us that Satan was once an angel in heaven, perhaps even a cherub in Revelation 12, 7-9. Because Satan was a heavenly being, we know that Satan, as well as his angelic followers, were created good, but by their own free will, chose to reject God and become evil. Everything's valid there. Everything's good. On the definition of Satan, we're good there. Right? We're good. All right. So while... We have no definitive answer as to whether Satan rebelled against God because of his own pride or some other reason. We do know that a war erupted in heaven in which the archangel Michael and his angels fought against Satan and his angels. Again, she's citing Revelation 12, 7 through 9. Satan and the other fallen angels were defeated and, as a punishment for the rebellion, were cast out of heaven. And they cite Revelation 12, verse 9, Luke 10, verse 18. Right? I saw Satan fall like lightning. That's what Jesus said in Luke 10, 18. Okay, again, back into this. Satan became the prince of demons, Matthew 12, verse 24. And he and other fallen angels were hurled to the earth, Revelation 12, verse 9, ultimately condemned to hell, 
Matthew 25, verse 41. Okay, so far so good. We're in agreement, right? That's, that's what we know. I like this one because they, they um, condensed it into a, you know, boom, 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 right? Nothing heretical there, no heresy. That's what we currently believe and understand, right? So we go on. Demons continue to serve Satan on earth by luring mankind away from God. Despite their expulsion from heaven, Satan's demons continue to serve him in his plot to control the earth by luring people into sin, again citing Revelation 12, verse 9. The Bible warns of Satan's grave threat to humanity by referencing to him as the God of this age, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, who prowls the earth looking for someone to devour, 1 Peter 5, verse 8, demons are no less dangerous as the Bible describes them as impure spirits, and technically they're, they're unclean spirits, more than impure, but we'll get to that too. Mark 1, verse 27, and deceiving spirits in 1 Kings 22, 23. That's right, send me a lying spirit, right? And those may not have been demons either. We'll get to, we're going to unpack a lot of this stuff here. Those we presumed because they, they wanted a lying spirit that we thought they were demonic, but I don't want to jump that gun right now. We may have to address it further down the road in um, another Tales of Glory uh, episode. So the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil, Ephesians 6, 12, and as Satan's angels, Revelation 12, 9. Okay. Contextually correct, right? That's where cleansing streams taught us. That's what they taught us, right? Because I'm not going to beat them up. Oh, they're wrong. But that was the common thread belief of demons and Satan all throughout the Western church right now. I think we can nod our heads in agreement. That's what we were taught. and That's what we learned. Correct? Okay. All right. So don't toss cabbage at Mike yet. Oh, you'll have a chance to down the road. It's coming. So what do we do now? CSI, crime scene investigation. That's what we're going to do. We're going to investigate and look for clues of what's happening here. We got we to gotta make the data connect. We got to make the hyperlinks. And so far, we've only linked back into between Matthew and Revelation 12, right? We've stayed in the New Testament. And there's no hyperlinks back to the Old Testament. To me, and I guess anybody else that you read the New Testament, demons suddenly appear. They suddenly appear. And we do have gods and wicked spirits in the Old Testament, but we don't see like the demonic possession, stuff like that, except for probably King Saul. We saw something with King Saul going on where David had to play the, um, the lyre or the whatever he was playing, the harp for him. And that's the one case, and that may be something else too. That may have been a punitive thing that was from God. We don't know yet. There's, I'm going to jump the gun here, right? But agree with me that. Demonic possessions and demoniacs and that whole verbiage only showed up in New Testament. There's one place where do not serve gods or their demons, um, Shechem, but that's a different, that's a regional spirit, but our translators, American translators translated as a demon. That's incorrect too. It's a regional spirit. Therefore, I'm going to start you guys thinking, put the light bulb go on, that there's this barrier where demons suddenly appear, and it's in the New Testament. That's not true, Mike. Well, hold on. Well, hold on. 
Yeah. We're going to find them. It's just, it's going to be interesting here. Follow along here, guys. Here we go. So crime scene investigation. Here we go. Don't tamper with the evidence and don't step on the crime scene. Right? We, got, we need that evidence. Here we go. So here we go. The Bible tells us that demons are fallen angels who join Satan in his rebellion against God, citing Revelation 12, 7 through 9. And what does that say? Satan thrown down to earth. Revelation 12, 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Put it in yellow, his angels thrown down with him, right? Um, while we're talking about demonology and angelology right now, this Revelation 12, 9 is the first time anywhere in your entire Bible that the Apostle John ties together, threads together for us, all these different characters as being Satan. We really don't see Satan in the Old Testament. There is Satan, the accuser. That may have been a title for a spirit that I was supposed to accuse. We saw it in Zechariah. We saw it in Job. You know, it's possible it was Satan. It's possible. But at that time, it wasn't used as his name. It was used as a, a title of what they were doing. Hasatan. Um, so now we see that the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent, right? What ancient serpent? Nakash from uh, Genesis 3, perhaps? There we go. There, the, um, John's sewing it all together for us. Who is the devil? Where do we see the devil? The devil showed up in Luke 4. And Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he has thrown down to earth, and his wicked angels were thrown down with him. All right, so we have an angelology of wicked angels right there, and who Satan is. Again, this is the first time, like we see throughout the Bible, we see the devil, we see Satan. This is the first time it's all linked to him. And just because these people back in the Second Temple Hebrews, at that time, early Christians were well aware. And there was other material out there for him, too, that don't appear in our Bibles. And we're going to get some of these, too. Look, examine some of these as we get to go down the road here. So Satan throw down to earth. Where does Revelation 12, 7 through 9 state the angels siding with Satan are demons? It doesn't. It says the wicked angels were tossed down. Here's what I want you guys to process. Is a demon a fallen angel, or is it something else? Where is this in the Bible? Where is it? These are some of the conundrums I was working with um, ritual abuse survivors against the occult and witchcraft. And I started seeing the different divisions of these things called demons. There were low-level demons, what we call them. And the higher-level spirits are uh, cosmic beings or something in the heavenly realms, right? We're going to get to that. Why was there a dichotomy? Why was a difference? Why did I have authority over a demon that was a fallen angel, yet I didn't have authority over angels? What's going on? And so as you get entrenched in this stuff, you're, you just start talking about, Mike, you know, process this. This is something interesting I want you to see. I want you to see this. So a lot of conversations with me and Jesus, like, Jesus, what is going on? And sometimes these conversations went on for years till I saw more stuff. Um, during my battles with ritual abuse or during my battles with some very dark stuff with the occult. 
I started seeing different things. I was like, hmm. I'm not processing what the difference is between these two because there's a definite division between one and the other. Between low-level demons and high-level spiritual beings. A.K.A. we call angels. An angel is really a messenger. Um, this is a poor translation in English, and it may have come from the fact that Septuagint said Angelos. It started using that too. Angelos, Angelos, whatever it is in Greek. And an Angelos can be a person. A person can be a messenger. We had messengers, um, Malek um, is the Hebrew, and they're different. It's a messenger. It could be an angel. It could be a messenger, right? We call it a divine spiritual being. Let me use those terms. We see this stuff like in Ezekiel and these crazy creatures and stuff. These are divine spiritual beings. Um, we refer to them angels, but that's an incorrect term. These are divine spiritual beings. Because uh, the one in Ezekiel, the wheels and stuff, the one that multiplies, the ones guarding the, um, the throne of God are not messengers. We're calling them messengers, right? It's just, it's poor wording, poor grammar, poor, poor spiritual grammar. So let's look at this. Satan is the prince of demons. Matthew 12, 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Are you talking about Jesus, right? It's like, you must be Beelzebul. Where'd this name come from? Lord of the Flies. Why is it suddenly interjected there? Why did the Pharisees call him that? Because they had other material available to them, and they thought it was Beelzebul, the Lord of the Flies, which is, again, alluring to Satan. But we don't know that. We just make we make these connections on our own without having the proper hyperlinks back. So I hope this is getting fascinating with you guys. Interesting. Here we go. Let's go deeper. What is Matthew citing here? Matthew and the Pharisees didn't have the New Testament. It's got to be out of the Septuagint or some other old reading material that they had with them. They only had a Septuagint, right? The Greek translated um, Torah. That's what they had. So who is Beelzebul? What and who were the Pharisees referencing Satan? Did they know he was Satan? How did they know he was Satan? Invisible, interconnected. Somehow they have access to information we don't have and we're not making the hyperconnect. Why does the New Testament differentiate between demons and fallen angels? Why do we have authority over demons but not fallen angels? Right? These are the things going on in my mind. This is the conundrums. Like, what's going on here, God? I don't understand this. Why are the demons earthbound, but the wicked angels are in heavenly places? Did you catch that one? We always read Ephesians and assume they're about demons. Ephesians 6.12. Ah, I'm getting ahead of myself. CSI examining the evidence, right? Let's go to Ephesians 6.12. Let's look at this thing. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. I had a lot of problems and a lot of discussions with Jesus. Right? What's that song? He was talking to Jesus. He was talking to Jesus. Yeah, I was perplexed talking to him like, okay, God, what? What is going on? And as I was teaching cleansing streams, I taught for several years in a row, three or four years in a row, my church, but I eventually walked out on this one. This is interesting. So I brought in Ephesians 6.12 and presented it to the class. I broke it down in the Greek, the Anarche, the rulers, 
the authorities and um, the cosmic, the celestials, it was. And I broke it down. I showed him, hey, cleansing streams calls these demons, but there's not one demon in this, in this thing. Look at it. Because demons are stuck on the ground. Who are these guys in heavenly places? And one of the church Karens got her halo blent. And she called the pastor right away from the class. I know she did it from the class. She texted him right from the classroom. This is what Mike's teaching. Shot a picture of the um, <laughs> handout. All I did was I, I, I printed out the um, Ephesians 6.12 out of the Blue Letter Bible with the, the Greek translations. Like, let's look at this stuff. Let's go down it. And because it didn't match the Cleansing Streams book, she was bent out of shape. Like, I, well, you know, as a teacher, I should point out stuff along with students like, this may be inaccurate here at Cleansing Streams. And so I was called in on the floor by the pastor. And it didn't go well for the pastor because he wasn't aware of the amount of information I already had from you know, ritual abuse counseling, dealing with the occult. And I was just done with them. He goes, you just teach it the way I tell you to teach it. And I was like, you know what? I'm done with you. <laughs> I'm done with this church, man. I walked out. That was the end of it. It was crazy. And what was weird and funny was the timing of that, Jesus had set up a complete paid trip to me from Maui because I had to decompress after the incident and readjust to what was going on in my ministry. So Jesus being Jesus say, yeah, I know this. It was like the week later I got in the plane and went. <laughs> and Jesus spoke to me in Hawaii or Maui. It was, it was gorgeous, you know, out there. But anyway, I just haven't been sent to Maui since, but I go, darn Jesus, I really need to go to Maui again, right? Like, no, that was a harsh incident where Jesus had to take me out the side and just spend time with me and talk with me. But that's out of Ephesians 6, 12. What's our walk away? Spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is not the third heaven that Paul went to. Um, Derek Prince calls it a second heaven, another spiritual realm where the dark angels went after they were cast out of heaven. So Paul tells, where's, what's Paul referencing here? Actually, it's in my cosmology and demonology what he's referencing here, but I don't want to get that now. I want to build up the case for initially, who are these guys? Because our angelology and demonology is far different from what the Second Temple Hebrews knew. And when you read Paul, I want your light bulb to go on and go, oh my God, that's what that is. It is hyperlinked back to the Old Testament. But we don't do that. In deliverance ministries, we go on and we get these, you know, I'm putting on my uh, spiritual armor, you know. But actually, it's, was it after this, Ephesians 6, 13? Therefore, put on your armor, armor of God. It's a therefore. What's Derek Prince say? What's a therefore, therefore? Because for we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on your armor of God, because we, are, we cannot battle in heavenly realms. Those of you listening to me, I know Katie Sousa always says it, go swing your sword in second heaven. Nope. We have the armor of God to protect us when it gets flinged down to us, because these are rulers, regional spirits over our areas. And we are not to contend with them, but we have armor to protect us from what's coming down. Why do we have the, the breastplate and the, the shoes of peace and the, the sword of the spirit? Because we engage these things by doing the Great Commission and bringing back in the Gentiles into the fold. And there's more to this too. I mean, I'm putting together little crime scene pieces here, right? Collect your data. You know, put the numbers down, mark your data, crime scene investigation. Here we go. Ah, Matthew 12, 43. This is interesting. Why don't the cast out spirits return to the heavenly places if they're fallen angels? Let's read this. Matthew 12, 43. When the unclean spirit, remember that definition, 
has gone out of a person, it passes through the waterless places, the dry, arid places, right? The deserts, seeking rest, but finds none. So it didn't go back to heavenly places when it was cast out. Why is that? I want you to start doing why, 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 why. The reason I want you to ask the why is because there's answers in the Torah, in the Septuagint. There's answers there. And we're going to hit them. I want you guys to see this. Because it's, it's going to open your eyes to the real spiritual warfare going on. You know, somehow the enemy got in and watered her stuff down and, and changed stuff on us. Here we go. I'll show you where that happened too. Around the 4th century or 40, yeah, about the 4th century, stuff got watered down and changed from what the Second Temple of Hebrews believed. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Demons appear to have characteristics that differ from fallen angels. They are low-order spiritual beings. They are bodiless. Man has authority over demons, but not angels. Demons don't seem to be fallen angelic spirits. What are we missing? What are we missing here? There's a disconnect. But quacks like a duck, it must be a duck, right? But we're not getting something looks like a duck here. Right? We're given a thorough trample of the, the, the scorpions and the serpents, right? And that's not what a fallen angel is. It's not a scorpion or a serpent. There's something different going on, something very different. And the word unclean spirit keeps coming up in the New Testament to identify what demons are. And that's how they label them. They don't label them as fallen angels. There's something different. We're missing something. Let's go find out what we're missing. So where are the demons of Septuagint? So I pulled out my old Google Scholar there because I'm going to go read some dissertations. Actually, I need to pay a few more hundred more bucks to upgrade my, my logo software, but I don't have the software functions searching yet where I can go look for this stuff. But So right now, I'm just a Google Scholar, and I go through and read dissertations that are out there. So what I searched for in Google Scholar, I searched on the key demons and a Septuagint. Go figure. And one of the things I found popped up, um, it was an article. The Journal of Biblical Literature, Volume 129, Number 4, Winter 2010, so it's only 14 years old, pages 657 through 677, it's 21 pages. I think this was a dissertation by Dale Basil Martin. Now let's read a small piece of this. According to familiar Christian mythology, demons are or were fallen angels. Satan was an angel who rebelled against God and was cast out of heaven. Other angels rebelled with him and became his minions. These fallen angels became demons. The mythology also assumes that demons refer to the same beings as evil or unclean or polluted spirit. Contrary to what may be common assumptions, this mythology was not shared by most ancient Jews, including those who wrote the translated Hebrew Bible. Most writers of ancient non-canonical Jewish texts and Jews in general before the rise of Christianity Moreover, that myth in its complete form is not found in the New Testament. Though separate aspects of it may be discerned there, the Christian myth that equated fallen angels with demons arose in the 2nd and 3rd centuries CE. It was an invention of a late ancient Christian writer. From a historical point of view, before, we should not retroject the equation of demons with fallen angels and back into the minds of New Testament writers. Angels became demons only by beginning the 2nd century and only when the hands of Christians. The term demon is often used to refer to any of all the malevolent superhuman spiritual beings. 
Hmm. Christian mythology. A bit harsh, right? So something's going on here. You know, you get this stuff at PhD level, but you don't get this stuff at um, master's divinity level of education. You don't get it. So this leads us to a second temple angelology, right? So I found another dissertation, Angels in Targums, an example of angels, demons, and giants in the Pentateuch. A bit closely, there's um, probably, unless you have it on a giant HD screen, I don't think you read this, but there are three verses from different translations of Genesis 6-2. And this translation is the identity of the sons of God, the existence of fallen angels. And where are we at? We're back in the beginning of the flood story. Genesis 6-2. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were fair, and they took to wife such of them as they chose. So when looking for clues to demons and the Septuagint, all the roads lead back to Rome, which is Genesis 6. Those weird four verses of wicked angels marrying daughters of men and producing giants. This is something most churches want to stay away from, most pastors want to. And typically for the up to the past couple of years, I always used um, John MacArthur as my source of the one that stuck with the um, the sons of Seth and that explanation of this. But I noticed recently, he started talking about giants. So I guess the Holy Spirit's having us all start to realign subtly. So what I'm doing here is not heresy. It's, it's, it's what's coming from the ancient Near East religion um, doctorate level. And what they've known for, this isn't something new. They've, it's been forever there. Somehow it wasn't handed down to the the MDiv guys, right, who preach. And they get fused by it. And they don't want to read Genesis 6 in the context of being a supernatural book and God being supernatural. They just shake their heads and move on. We can't do that. We have to teach, teach this in the nature, in the context of being supernatural, what's happening here in Genesis 6. So let's read Genesis 6, 1 through 4. I'm reading out the um, ESV. So the caption here is increasing corruption on earth. Genesis 6, 1 through 4. Verse 1. When man began to multiply in the face of the land, and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Let's go to I'm going to come back to this. Let's go on. Keep, keep that in mind. Verse 3, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore them children. These were the mighty men of old, the men of renown. We need to pump the brakes here because there's some stuff we need to put together as we go through this. As we read Genesis 1 through 11, chapters 1 through 11, there are three falls in context. In Genesis 3, man and spirits rebel against God. Remember, Eve took for herself the knowledge of the Elohims by eating from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God said, surely you will die. And she was tempted by the Nakash, the serpent. 
right? Which was Satan. We now remember, um, go back to Revelation 12, 9. We now know that the, the old serpent, the ancient serpent, that's back to Genesis 3. Because everything that's being preached all ties back to Septuagint in the um, New Testament. So fall number one was in Genesis 3. Where Adam, and Eve, Adam and Eve fell, or Adam the woman. She wasn't Eve yet, right? And they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which was no bueno. I want to pause here a second, too. In Genesis one twenty six, I think in Genesis 2 again, it says again that God imaged man in the likeness of himself as a spiritual being. So we were imaged perfectly, and so were the divine spirits. The divine spirits were imaged after God, and we were imaged lesser than the divine spirits because we were spiritual beings in flesh. But even so, we were like sons of God there too because remember, Adam's father was God. He was a son of God. But everything else was um, from Adam on, Adam was the father in the flesh. So both Adam and Eve were imaged in God and they were perfect in nature and most likely could have been God-like. You know, they're imaged. So why they fell for the serpent when the serpent said, God's holding back from you. You know, eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil to gain the knowledge of Elohims, and it corrupted them, wiped them out, right? So they already were walking in that image. Right, image is God. Imaging is important because it comes into play in Genesis 6, right? God imaged angels after himself, and God imaged man after, you know, God and the angels, but we were lower than them, right? So it's stair-tapped. So God is image, Jesus the image of God directly, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Then Jesus imaged the angels lesser than him, and Jesus imaged mankind lesser than the angels, right? We're there, right? We're all imaged perfectly. Imaging, imaging, imaging. So what's going on here? That's, that's for God to do. In Genesis 6, spiritual rebellion, ungodly imaging. The sons of God, divine spiritual beings coming down and going into women and making what we called a bastard union of a spiritual being. It was a bastard imaging. The heavenly angels and, and the women tried to image of themselves, and that's not what God intended. So we have this term, and it's used out through Hebrew. Don't get mad at me. Don't throw cabbage. These were bastard spirits that emerged from them, and it was a bastard imaging. And that was a spiritual fall with man in Genesis 6. That's fall number two. Genesis 11, man is spiritual rebellion at Babel, right? So man rebelled against God, tried to build his own image of himself and ascend above God so he'd never be flooded again by God. And as punitive damages, God divided the nations, the 70 or 72, 70 is in the, the um, I think the Masoretic text, and 72 is in Septuagint. So that's why this T70 or 72. And they're divided under 70 to 72 different um, Elohims, regional spirits. They're divided up. And that was punitive damages. So he, um, Israel got God, and the rest of us got good or bad regional spirits to, you know, princes to, to monitor over us. We know from the book of Daniel there was an evil prince, Prince of Egypt, right? Prince of Egypt. What am I thinking? Think of the cartoon. Um, Spielberg. No, the, the Prince of Persia. It was the Prince of Persia, the one that, um, 
Gabriel had sent some warriors against, so Michael battled against the Prince of Persia and Daniel. That's what's going on there. That's how the Prince of Persia got his region. You know, it was a punitive um, response for man rebelling at Babel and building a tower. Making itself rise, just like Satan tried, right? I'll rise above, I'll rise above. We'll get ourselves in trouble with that. So Genesis 6 clues. Like I said, back when um, John MacArthur was teaching us, he goes, the sons of God were, this, were Seth, right? But it's interesting here. If you look at the Hebrew, and I have put it up here, um, you can see it on this slide. Sons of God. I have the Hebrew underneath it. It is sons of, so it's, um, look at the first line. I have highlighted yellow in columns. Read sons of, it's Ben. You see God. Elohim. Ben Elohim, sons of God. Saw, the daughters. Uh, it is Be'et, Be'et, Aleph, Tet, Aleph Tav, Et, so that's daughters. And then the daughters of man, and we see our man highlighted in blue, Aleph, Dalet, Mem, is Adam. That's pronounced. So there it is. When we see Ben Elohim, the Masoretic text, it's exclusively reserved for the divine spiritual beings. It, never in the text would they say, oh, that re- relates to um, man or mankind or human beings. No. Ben Elohim, we see it several times, and I'll go through this later on too. Um, you'll see it. It's reserved for gods, lowercase gods. And we know um, if you've been following Exodus, when God posted judgment on the Elohims, right? That's who they were, those regional spirits here. He put judgment on them. That's what we're talking about. Again, Elohims are referred to as these um, lowercase gods, these regional spirits that, that took over and were supposed to take care of the nations or provide for them, not to be worshipped by them. That's how they got in trouble. Again, the sons of God is specifically reserved for divine spiritual council members, the little God spirits created in the image of God. Is that word image again, right? They're image of God. This is the root of Second Temple angelology and demonology beliefs, and it differs from the Western Church. We have created our own. Like we said, it was back third third century. Some other Christian writer put this in place. So, how did the Second Temple Hebrews and early Christians take the sons of God into context? Sons of God. Lowercase gods, Elohims, was strictly used in the Torah for divine spiritual creatures, the holy ones, or was a final leader, the watchers. Right? Not all watchers, not all holy ones rebelled against God. We have some good ones. Um, is it over in Galatians? For all things created for him, by him, the rulers, and, and it goes on about Jesus. Um, it talks about good rulers, good, good principalities, right? There's good ones and there's bad ones. Ephesians 6.12 calls out the bad rulers. Light bulb going on? That's what since Ephesians 6.12 in heavenly places, we had some bad watchers, some bad rulers. Um, Elohim's takeover. So let's look at Genesis 6.4 again. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards, when the sons of God, again the Ben Elohim, came into at the daughters of man, Adam, and they bore children to them. What? They procreated. They procreated with him. Some people go to Matthew and go, well, we'll have no um, wives in heaven. Yeah, that's, that's true. But that's not what's going on here. 
these guys came down and took for themselves wives because no wives in heaven. They took for themselves. Just as Eve took for herself and Adam took for themselves the knowledge of the Elohims and the knowledge of good and evil, right? That was their sin, their fall. Here's the angelic fall, the transgression. They took for themselves wives and they, they went into and bore children. It's fall number two, but it was a spiritual fall. The spirits fell this time. We're not really taught that. We only never go past Genesis 3. But we're looking at it from a Second Temple Hebrew perspective as well as the early church. Remember members of the way with Paul and those guys and Peter? What did they believe? We're starting looking at the demonology and the angelology as they believed it. Right? We're realigning. It's not cleansing streams. It's not what you know, Isaiah Salvador and those guys tell on their, uh, their little podcast there. This is what we're pointing to. This is it. Good stuff here, guys. Not to knock them, but we've been lied to. And this is time to readjust the course. Uh, yeah, the enemy did it. The enemy lied to us. That's what it was. So the Second Temple Hebrew referred to these divine council spiritual beings as the watchers. We start looking at material from the Second Temple Hebrews and um, other old material, like Apocryphas, the Pseudographicas and stuff, these other books that were, some are sometimes included in some of the denominations and some are not. I believe the um, the Coptic Ethiopian or the uh, and also the Orthodox Jew, oh, excuse me, Orthodox Greek, Orthodox Jew, the Orthodox Greek Bibles may have these in these. So I'm saying certain denominations have them, some don't. Some it's canonical and some it's not. So I'm going to go look at Josephus. I'm going to dive back into my book, Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis 1 through 11, to paint a picture. This is a good book to pick up. Um, because this puts a lot of things in place in a very quick and easy read method. So I want to quote Josephus in his book of Antiquities. He was like maybe 80 years out from Jesus. Um, and what he had to say about the watchers and what was going on here in Genesis 6, 1 through 4. So again, um, here's out of my book, Cosmology, Demonology, by myself. Let's read. Another ancient literary clue that reaffirms the framework for the watcher theology comes from the Jewish historian, Josephus, who lived 37 to 100 AD and wrote in his book, The Antiquities of the Jews, Book 1, Chapter 3, that the Second Temple Hebrews' common belief was that Genesis 6-1-4 was about divine spiritual beings that sinned. He's citing at his day, during his, his, his time in space, that Genesis 6-1-4, the Ben Elohim, the sons of God, were spiritual beings who sinned and took themselves daughters of men as wives, and went into them. These were transgressions. Adam and Eve did a transgression in the fall in, in Genesis 3. In Genesis 6, 1 through 4, the angels performed transgressions. Okay, It's building. I don't know if you ever heard this one before. Follow along. Here we go. This is from um, peer-reviewed material. Okay, So I'm not throwing stuff at you. Go, oh, look what I just discovered. You know, I heard this great podcast, and that's a lot of people too. <laughs> I throw stuff out on Instagram. I've only watched these Instagram things about people doing this religious stuff. They think they have this epiphany. And you're going, that's not right. <laughs> that's way off. Go back and read some. Go read some Michael Heiser. Go get a Michael Heiser library. Come back and talk to me. Reading from Josephus. But for what degree of zeal they had formerly shown for virtue, they now showed by their actions a double degree of wickedness, whereby they made God their enemy. For many angels of God accompanied with women and begot sons that proved unjust and despisers of all that was good on account of the confidence of their own strength. 
Well, the tradition is that these men did what resembled the acts of those whom the Greeks called giants, a.k.a. titans. So he's uh, Josephus quote now the Septuagint. The way of the giants, right? They called them, I think, called them titans or gigantos, or it was in the Septuagint. I need to get myself a hard copy of Septuagint. I don't know if they have them large print. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here we go. I'm going to get my logo so I can upgrade that. I'll have to do that. So back to my book, Coming Out of the Clothes, to put Genesis 6 1 4 into Second Temple Hebrew and early Christian members of the church, the way context, the watchers lusted for women, broke from the heavenly domain, took for themselves women, had sex with these women, and produced a bastard offspring of giants. So let's look at this from Genesis 6, 1 through 4, the Watcher's transgressions. One, they rebelled against God. Divine council members, the holy ones, rebelled against God, came down here to Mount Hermon, took for themselves wives. They took for themselves wives. Didn't ask permission, just took them. Through this unblessed union, the Watchers created bastard, unclean spiritual images a hybrid of divine spiritual being and man, the Nephilim, a.k.a. the giants and the titans and Septuagint. That's who the Nephilim were. They were these hybrid human angelic spirits in flesh and in spirit. Something Jesus did not ordain or allow. That was a transgression. It was a big one. It was a big one. Later we'll get down to this too. It was so bad that those are the angels in chains that, is it First Peter talks about? And Jude talks about in Jude 6. Um, because we stop and think about when we read this stuff, well, what angels are in chains? Satan's still roaming around. Why is he locked up? Um, what was the transgression that was so bad? It was right here. They rounded up these angels and they were put into the abyss and chains in Tartarus. Those are the ones in chains right now. Okay? So that, that's what I'm saying. That's where we're, cleansing streams is now off derailed, off the tracks. They're teaching about demonology. I say cleansing streams. I'm, I'm going to say all the above, right? All these, all these classes you take, schools you take. I mean, I teach this class too. I still get people get this word, look at me, and they'll come back later like, what about this stuff? Like, I just told you that that's incongruent or it doesn't align with what our tradition history really is. Oh, what about this stuff? Like, oh, no, forget it. <laughs> Sometimes I'm exasperated teaching classes. I like, that's why I prefer podcasts. Because I know some of you guys don't ask questions. Like, I can just cruise through here then, right? But um, but yeah, and some people do ask questions. I'm glad because they're good ones. But other ones, it's like, ah, oh, no, he's a podcast. I'm not going to argue with him. Um, which, thank God, that happens too, because that's, that's exasperating as well. But the classes seem to be more, because you know, you're in person, you got to answer all these questions. And I think some are like, what are you listening? <laughs> do you follow the slides in the book? I know I have long slides, but man, what happened here? So, the book of First Enoch was widely read in the Second Temple period and quoted several times in the New Testament. Like I said, it was First Peter, and it's quoted quite a bit by Paul, and it's quoted in the book of Jude quite a bit. The book of First Enoch is not canonical in most denominations. Remember I said, uh, you're Coptic Ethiopian or you're Orthodox Greek, you probably have these in your Bible. However, it is an ancient Near East early commentary on Genesis 6 from the intertestamental period. Whoa, that's a mouthful. So let's look at this. First Enoch 15, verses 6 through 12. 
But you originally existed as spirits, living forever and not dying for all the generations of eternity. Are referring to the angels. Therefore, I did not make women among you. The spirits of heaven, in heaven, is their dwelling. Right? There it is right there. He's addressing the Matthew thing, where there's no wives in heaven. Because you're made to last eternally, there is no need for procreation in heaven. You're eternal. What are you going to make more? God will make more. But the spirits didn't need to on their own. Verse 8. But now the giants who were begotten by the spirits in flesh, they will call them evil spirits on the earth, or their dwelling will be on the earth. One more time. But now the giants, the Goliaths, his brothers, the Nephilim, were begotten by the spirits, a.k.a. the, the, the watchers, and flesh, the women, uh, daughters of men, they will call them evil spirits on the earth. Their offspring will be evil spirits, where their dwelling will be on the earth. There it is. The definition of the demons right there in First Enoch. Um, chapter 15, verses 6 through 12. Okay, how do we handle this if it's not canonical? We'll get to that. So verse 9. The spirits have gone forth the body of their flesh are evil spirits. For from humans they came into being, and from the holy watchers was the origin of the creation. Evil spirits they will be on earth, and evil spirits they will be called. The spirits of heaven in heaven is their dwelling, but the spirits begotten on earth, and the earth is their dwelling. 11. And the spirits of the giants do violence, make desolate, and attack, and wrestle, and hurl upon the earth, and cause illnesses. Hmm. They eat nothing but abstain from food and are thirsty and smite. These spirits will rise up against the sons of men and against the women, for they have come forth from them. That is a demon. From my book Cosmology and Demonology, page 54, the watchers in 1st Enoch and the sons of God in Genesis 6, 1 through 2, in the context of 2nd Temple Hebrew, in the Apostles' Theology, are one and the same. The primary focus in First Enoch is the story of the Watchers. Chapters 1 through 36 of the text contain the book titled The Book of the Watchers. This is in First Enoch. It explains a narrative of Genesis 6, 1 through 4. If you want to look at this, it's like a commentary. That's so why I look at um, I talk to these peer-reviewed people or doctorates. They say, yeah, it was actually First Enoch is actually a commentary, right? What they would consider a commentary back at the time. It's like we have commentaries now. It's not in our Bible. We have commentaries, right? We have tons of them. So continue on. The title Watcher appears again in Daniel 4.17. The Watchers are the Holy Ones, divine spirits and counsel in the presence of God. The Book of the Watchers gives the account of a group of the Holy Ones acting in rebellion to God and taking for themselves earthly wives. As a result, they procreated abominations, giants with unclean spirits. Or we heard this before? New Testament, Jesus, come out, you unclean spirit. There it is. There's a hyperlink. Poof. Genesis 6 to, was that Mark? The Gerasene demoniac, or which one was it? Come out, you, I'm going to look at him. But anyway, you'll start seeing this. The Dictionary of Deities and Demons in the Bible states the following from the, about the Watchers. I don't know if you guys have this book. I have it. It cost me like 75 books way back when, way off Amazon. Huge, thick thing on, on deities and demons in the Bible. Great book. Um, 
It's a good reference, but I rarely use it, except when I'm writing <laughs> writing books and citing from it. And I go, I think I know what this is, but I have to cite a reference, but that's what this book's good for. So here it is, Medidia Demons. The Watchers are widely attested in Jewish literature of the Hellenistic and early Roman periods. The most famous attestation is in the Book of the Watchers, verse Enoch 1-36, through where the term is used for fallen angels. The Enochic book is an elaboration of the story of the sons of God of Genesis 6, who took wives from the children of men. The episode in Genesis is elliptic and is presented without clear judgment. Okay. The offspring of the sons of God are presented in a positive light as heroes of old, men of renown. In the book of Enoch, however, the action of the watchers is clearly rebellious. They swear an oath and bind each other with curses, not to alter the plan. They conspire to take human wives, and 200 of them come down to Mount Hermon. They have intercourse with the women and begets giants who wreak havoc on the earth. So now we're kind of subtly um, exiting out of this now, concluding remarks um, from cosmology and demonology. So what do we have here? The early church Christian would have read the Book of Watchers and First Enoch and understood that this was the expanded story to what happened in Genesis 6, 1-4. through 4. We know Paul read it. We know Peter read it. Peter quoted it, or whoever the author of Peter, uh, first second Peter were, whoever the author of Jude was. Um, these guys read the book. They were, they were aware of the Enoch, and some cited it. It was there. It was, like I said, it was like a commentary. It was, it was something, almost all these um, devoted uh, spiritual guys read was the commentaries on Enoch. We know Paul read it, right? And he was a, a Pharisee and, and well-educated, so it was probably part of his studies. He had to read it. So I want to interject this too. I was initially apprehensive of trusting the information from First Enoch because it was non-canonical. We're both Septuagint and our current 66 books of the Bible. I was extremely cautious and didn't want to introduce any heresy into my theological beliefs. That's where some of you are at right now, right? It's just something you have to process and talk with Jesus. One thing that was interesting too, um, I was in a lot of uh, charismatic circles at the time. And a lot of these guys were quoting First Enoch, you know, as a, as a definitive book we need to read and like, oh, it was banned from the Bible. It wasn't banned. <laughs> we just didn't put it in. And it was just the, um, their attitude like, they went with this not because they followed the the, the hyperlinks like I'm showing you guys. They followed it because they thought they were on this super revelation that nobody else had. And it turned me off from looking ever looking at first Enoch because like, oh, you know, I don't want to be like these arrogant ones, you know. Or the charismatics were like, uh, you know, I, I know this because it, you, you haven't read this yet. So I have special information you don't have. And that was the attitude. And that's not what this is. So let me continue on in my closing remarks. So however, as my Continued research widened my understanding of Jesus and the spiritual beings he created. I began slowly expanding my knowledge into learning Masoretic Hebrew and stumbled my way through text, right? That's, I got a, took a class from Dr. Michael Kaiser two years ago before he passed away, thank God. Um, and I, I have patched together Masoretic Hebrew. I could stumble through it like a kindergartner. That's how I could do it. That's my reading skills, you know? I could pronounce the all letters, the alphabet, and some of the vowels and stuff, and, and stumble my way through, but I don't know all the words yet. So anyway, what I found is that it doesn't hurt to read these other books that were part of the early church theology as a means to understand their core beliefs and traditions. So by the way, um, I don't know Greek. I, in my physics degree, I, I know the Greek alphabet as it pertains to equations and math symbols, but I can't read Greek, but I can read Hebrew. So the book of Enoch 
is um, actually Greek, and I have some trusted translations I have from Dr. Michael Heiser, some of his commentary. So it's it, you do it that way, right? You find somebody you trust um, who did their homework, and he got his PhD, so I trust him. And he was a he was a very level head kind of guy. He, he did his he did his homework. So I'm glad he was there to equip most of us for the the you know, before we lost him. So again, in the case of the rebellion of the sons of God, the information required to develop a full narrative exists outside our canonical books. As you read the, these old texts, your spirit will wrestle with the information from outside of our Bible. And some of it gets weird and some of it hyperlinks. The primary value of reading books like First Enoch is to help us understand what the Second Temple Hebrew believed in the context of cosmology and demonology, what they believe. We can use it to help us build a framework of what the apostles and the early church Christians believed about Genesis 6. Genesis 6 was pivotal, right? If there's three falls, Jesus has to deal with the three falls when he returns, right? He had to deal with them when he came back. That's what he came to do, not just the fall of Adam and Eve, but the, the sins and transgressions of the watchers and what happened to the Tower of Babel. That's why we have the Great Commission. That's, that's fall number three, right? The fullness of the Gentiles. Therefore, go out with the Great Commission and you know, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, you know, and share the gospel. That was um, dealing with item number three. That's what Jesus came to do. All three of these things tie back to Jesus. We're hyperlink, hyperlinking what his mission is and his, his coming to back to the Gospels and the New Testament. I want to do a hard stop here because we need to unpack more and dive into First Enoch and other texts. I don't want to overwhelm you, but this gives you guys a chance to pause, still a pause, go back, play back and forth, look at what I gave you, go back and do research. I'm going to put some of these documents too on the show notes too for you guys because there's a lot here. So from what we learned, the Second Temple Hebrews and early Christians firmly believed that demons originated from the death of the Nephilim during and after the flood. Christians can easily wrap their mind around and accept that Goliath and his brothers were giants but we can't make the hyperlink that their origin is from cursed union between watchers and human females. That's how they got here. That's why they were feared. Not just because he was a big guy. I call us being mutually exclusive. You can't start teaching in the pulpit about Goliath and say, oh, he just appeared and he had giant brothers with, you know, six fingers and six toes and giant spears and just abominations or King Og, you know, and, what was he with the Rephaim, the, the, the tribe of the dead? What's going on there? You know, we glaze over it from Genesis and also in Numbers and Deuteronomy. Something's wrong here, right? We can't glaze over it. We have to reconnect that all this ground zero stuff that Jesus came to correct was from the second fall in Genesis 6. I said, you can't have one without the other. I said, I'm glad to see that John MacArthur's on board now, right? That helps me too. So I was like, I can just point to him now. Well, have you seen this video? We have to go look for that video too. Um, Dig it up. I said the logic is mutually exclusive. You can't have one without the other. Can't. Genesis 6, the origin of demons is from the Watchers and their unclean union with the daughters of men, producing the Nephilim, the giants. There it is. That's what a demon is. Now I showed you too from other texts why the demons are bound to the earth because God goes, you know, I didn't ordain this union between the man, the between the the um the watchers and the, the woman. So this is an unclean spirit that results from the union. Therefore, it has no 
It's not coming to heaven, not touching heavenly realms. It stays here. It's stuck here, right? And the fathers of did this are in chains in Tartarus. The second Peter four. I'll have to put. I'll put the clip there too. We'll get to that too. I just want to take a hard pause here because there's a lot going on. I want you guys just a good light bulb going. Oh my gosh, the demons came from the Nephilim. And this is getting out more and more now. Starting to make more sense that the church still goes. Oh no, the demons are fallen angels. They're not. You know. I, Showed you why too. The differences in the New Testament, and we made the hyperlinks. We have basic hyperlinks now, back and forth. Good stuff. Concluding remarks for further study: pick up cosmology and demonology in Genesis one through eleven. You can get that off my website, and I'll tell you about that there. Or um, I'll put hyperlinks to on my um, fieldguidespiritualwarfare.blogspot.com page. That's going to host this particular episode. You pick it up. Said um, all this stuff's in order. It goes to Genesis one through eleven and does demonology and angelology. I have it right there, right? Subtitle: Serpent, Divine Counsel, and Regional Spirit. So what are these about? Um, a lot of people when I work with spiritual warfare now and deal with the occult, I usually give them a field guide to spiritual warfare, and I give them this book because light bulb goes on. Like what? So good stuff. Kind of cool to finally dive into this. It's been almost a year since I got this out, um, but I think it's. As we see more and more craziness about deliverance, I want to steer you guys right. It's a sideshow right now, and it's also working on bad material, and it's proliferating bad material, right? You know, come out in Jesus' name, whatever that movie is where they throw up in the popcorn, cast demons out, like, uh-uh, that's, <laughs> oh, you know, it is what it is, right? But I know people listening to this are digging deeper. That's why I don't really go out and try to get a big audience. Usually, Jesus steers people this way. If you're digging deeper and you want to know what this is, that's what this is. Good stuff. And the fact that we pointed the demon origin to the offspring of the Watchers and the women doesn't change anything in spiritual warfare and our authority over the demonic. It's still the same. It's just we had the origin wrong. Now, does it make sense now why the demons aren't in Ephesians 6.12, but they're in that one Matthew quote? They they're casted out, they go out in the desert, and then they'll return. They're stuck here. They're stuck here. And also in Shoal. Remember those cosmic geographies I haven't talked about yet, too. There's death, there's Shoal, Raphaim, King Og. Remember, there's some cosmic geographies with the giants rat too. That portals to death and Shoal. It's an eye-opener, guys. It's an eye-opener. So what are your thoughts? You could drop me a comment on the blog site, a field guide, spiritual warfare.blogspot.com or on Facebook. There's a Facebook group here for a field guide to spiritual warfare. Um, go look that up on Facebook, drop comments there and, you know, throw your cabbage or whatever you want to do. And let's see what we got. So if this content was good for you guys, you enjoyed it, please tap the like button on whatever, uh, podcast you're streaming from. And remember to subscribe to us. If you'd like to bless the ministry and help us provide, share more biblical truth and God's spectral, you can do so through PayPal. You can send a blessing through m16ministries at gmail.com or go out and pick up our books, um, A Field Guide Spiritual Warfare. The Field Guide to Advanced Spiritual Warfare covers more stuff uh, dealing with um, pastoral care for those afflicted by spirits. And I said it in those terms, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, and there's also some stuff on ritual abuse and stuff in there too. 
And finally, there's the book Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis 1 through 11. I call that my correction to the other books I've written, right? Well, you know, get it out there, right? I got the errata out there in that book. That's my errata book. And finally, pieces came together. Finally came together on this one. Amazing stuff. I hope you enjoyed this. So thank you. This is the M16 Bishop from the M16 Bunker. Go out and do your research and be a blessing. Amen. Amen.